Welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm, and I'm Michael. All right, we got a crazy case for you this week. A small town tragedy turned into a mystery. Absolutely. A lot of intrigue Absolutely. here. Absolutely. This is one of those those cases with uh, plenty of twists and turns. You think you got it figured out, then you're like, mm-hmm. wait, that doesn't add up. You know, some other cases come to mind, like uh, yeah, like for instance, the suicide of uh, I think it was Ellen Greenberg. Was that her who it was ruled a suicide mm-hmm. and she stabbed herself twenty something times in the back allegedly? You know, it's like uh, mm-hmm. these cases, man. These, yeah, right. these cases never cease to amaze me. Um, the extent that people will go to to stage a crime scene. You know what I mean? It's pretty insane. Mm-hmm. Well, should we get into it without giving too much away? Let's do it, man. All right. Let me talk at you a minute, creepers. Now, we know, even with all the content we create here at TCG, that your little true crime-loving hearts still yearn for more. And that's why we try to keep a lookout for other badass true crime podcasts that we ourselves enjoy and therefore want to promote. Which brings me to Mode of Mischief, a show about true cybercrime. Mode of Mischief is a podcast that focuses on hackers in the dark web. On this show, you'll hear stories about Israel's cyber warfare division, the teenage hacking group that got into Los Alamos nuclear lab, the man who hacked into NASA, and much, much more. Subscribe to Mode of Mischief wherever you get your podcast or click the link in the show notes. Mode of Mischief. It's a different kind of true crime that we know you're going to love. Uh, my father, uh, you know, he loved everybody and he loved his job especially, but more than uh, just his, his friends and his, fa- and his job, he loved his family most importantly. He always uh, had a really huge sense of family fundamentals and everything like that. And he was just always a happy guy, you know, always smiling, always saying hey to everyone. And, you know, he was just uh, all around, just a man's man, just a great guy. Uh, Lieutenant Glenowitz was a person who truly did care about his community. He was always involved with community events, village events, etc. He truly loved his job. He loved doing things for the explorers, and his explorers was a huge part of his life. He really dedicated hundreds of thousands of hours into bettering the Fox Lake community, the Illinois law enforcement explorers, and the national law enforcement explorers. And events like this will truly alter the opinions of some, but for me, it truly makes myself want to become a police officer more and more and fulfill his important work in continuing doing what he did. I thought it would have been him apprehending the suspect. I didn't think it would have been the other way around. When I heard it, I was, I was devastated. My school was in a lockdown. I immediately burst into tears. And I just couldn't believe what I was being told. It, it was truly, it was, it was heartbreaking for me, my explorers, the community, everyone. Well, first of all, uh, the fatal gunshot wound, which was between the first and second ribs, was located two, un- two inches under the bulletproof vest which means the the gun had to be very close and shoved under the vest for that shot to occur. So that was very very unusual. That means it was close range. Secondly, the officer's uniform was uh, uh, in roll call shape, meaning that the shirt was in proper position, the pants were in proper position, the bulletproof vest was in proper uh, position, which indicated there was no struggle. And that was confirmed when we did the autopsy, where there was no defensive wounds on the arms, the hands, the chest, the legs. So the manner of death, in my eyes, was not clear cut. I needed more evidence. I needed the gunshot residue. I needed the DNA. I needed fingerprints. I needed the psychosocial history. So 
As far as I was concerned, all three categories of manner of death were open. Uh, uh, the autopsy findings on the day that we did it, I could show you how it could be a homicide and I could show you how it could be a suicide. However, when we saw that the clothing was intact, we, st we, we had to think he must have been surprised. We, we didn't have initially really any idea within the coroner's office as to the manner of death. The, uh, the uh, crime task force proceeded as a homicide because of the radio dispatch. Uh, obviously, uh, every investigation that a law enforcement takes in a perspective is you have to look at it as either a homicide, accidental cause of death, or suicide. Uh, with that in mind, I know my father. Uh, my family knows my father and his closest friends knew him as well. Uh, he was not someone who ever contemplated suicide. Uh, he never had suicidal tendencies or, or anything like that. I mean, that's just a rumor, and that's that. It is a rumor. It was someone that somebody made up because uh, they wanted to interpret the story in their own. All right, for our case this week, as we mentioned, we're doing a small town tragedy that turns into a, a murder mystery. Um, and this small town that we keep mentioning is Fox Lake, Illinois, which has a population of about 11,000 people and is a recreational hub for boaters that tend to avoid Lake Michigan. So it's, I want to say, a little bit west of Lake Michigan. Mm -hmm. And it's a small town that's just absolutely surrounded by lakes. Like, seriously, they could spare a few for the rest of us that would <laughs> like to boat and do some recreational stuff, especially those of us that have Lake Mead. I was about to say, especially those draining. in Las Vegas who need water. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they're just lakes. absolutely surrounded by it's like a boater's dream or fisherman or whatever, water skier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It actually looked like a really cool place. Like uh, this tour that I say I'm going to do when I retire, where I'm going to get an RV and like retire. I'm, I'm scheduled to retire by like 49 with 30 years into the company I'm at. So yeah. I have this dream of getting an RV and just touring the country and finding the, you know, perfect little small town. Like this one would be obviously be pretty brutal during winter being in Illinois. Yeah. And I don't know how many of those lakes are frozen, but then you get into ice fishing and you, you know, maybe some hockey and shit like that. It seems like oh, this shit. would be on the short list of like one of those really cool small towns. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I would definitely stay stay in the south during the winter, though. You know, I would I would explore explore that northern hemisphere of the United States. You know, in the summer, mm -hmm. is it gonna get crazy up there? I mean, you get up towards Wisconsin and shit. You know, they like park cars on icy lakes and don't even worry about them. It's crazy. <laughs> like oh, we need to grow our Patreon a little bit more if I'm gonna have a summer home as well as a regular <laughs> home. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying you travel. You know. All right, well, let's start this case off with a, a tragic day in this small town involving one of the town's, uh, you know, big names and a, a police officer that everyone knew. They called him G.I. Joe. Yeah. G.I. Joe uh, had this tragic day on September 1st, 2015, when he called over the radio of the Fox Lake Police Department, Lieutenant Joe Glinowitz, who is, we're referring to as G.I. Joe in this, radioed into dispatch on this day that he had noticed some suspicious activity. It was like an abandoned uh, concrete plant or something like that. It was like a, you know, this kind mm -hmm. of desolate area of town. Yeah. And he's calling in to say that he noticed some sp suspicious activity, that there were three men. Um, and the first call was a little more, you know, it wasn't as dire. He called in, just said he's, you know, uh, basically observing some suspicious activity with three individuals and uh the dispatcher asked if he wanted backup and he said no that was okay mm -hmm. uh, but then he called in 
a little bit after that and said that he was in pursuit of the individuals that had ran into the woods. Um, he said that they were described, he described them as two white men and one black man. Um, but at the time of his first radio call, we mentioned that, you know, he didn't require backup. Now he was after saying that they'd gone on foot into the woods. He was now saying, yes, go ahead and start, uh, the backup. Yeah. Still doesn't sound very, um, very tense, very excited about this, very, uh, alarmed. Like in the, in the, in the recordings of his, of his call for backup and everything, he just, it's like, it's just a normal day. Now I do realize this guy is a very experienced police officer. I was going to say, he's been around. You know, so a little yeah. bit more about Joe to maybe set that scene. Yeah, he was known around town as an all-American badass and someone who could handle just about anything, which might explain his calm demeanor over the radio. Right, he had been on the force for almost thirty years and was less than a month away from retirement when he was on his way to work that day. So, mm. Mm, that is never a good sign. Quite possible this is just another day. This is you know stuff that he has dealt with many times before, and no right. big deal. He runs a cadet program and all that stuff, and trains people for these type of situations. Right, right. So three minutes later, however, Joe would uh, radio dispatch again. This is when he requests for backup in pursuit of the suspects. And this would be the last time that anyone would hear from Joe Glinowitz alive. Mm. So less than 15 minutes after his call for backup, officers arrived on the scene at the heavily overgrown and swampy area. They discover the cruiser of Lieutenant Joe Glinowitz parked by the road, but no sign of Joe. So his cruiser's parked there. Um, what's weird when you see the footage of it is like it's parked, you know, on the side of the road, no lights on, mm-hmm. as if it was like, you know, just just left there for a long time. Right. Um, doesn't look like you would almost expect if he took off on foot after these people into the swamp, like the door to be open, the lights to be on. Right. Right. But no, it's just parked there. Everything off. Mm. Maybe he, um, you know, maybe he just parked and decided to investigate on foot to be a little more sneaky. Mm hmm. But I wonder what what I wonder what like led him to this place in the first place. You know, yeah, it's good question. Like you say, an abandoned warehouse, well, cement factory. Maybe part of your patrol, like you you know you check out abandoned areas like this just to make sure all is well. You know, uh-huh. this is somewhere where you know criminal activity could take place, drug deals or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, a possibility. So moments after arriving, the backup, um, the officers onto the scene heard a single gunshot from inside the wooded area nearby where Joe had claimed to have uh, gone on pursuit of these individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so the officers ran and began to search the marshy and swampy area near where the shot came from. But not, not long after they began their initial search, they discovered the body of Joe Glinowitz. Mm-hmm. He was already gone at this point, and he had suffered two gunshot wounds one of which had stopped, uh, been stopped by his ballistic vest. So his, his uh, bulletproof vest had stopped one, and the other had missed the vest and hit him in the torso. God, that uh, seems crazy. Like it must have came in like around his collarbone or something. Right? Uh, I because, don't know. I mean, I don't imagine know where the holes in these would be, maybe somewhere in the rib area. I don't know if they wrap all the way around or if they just protect your chest and your back, and then there's a, you know an area in the rib area, might, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like I feel like or they wrap like, all the way I imagine around. Perhaps like around near your armpit, there might be a gap where you could definitely get in. armpit shoulder. But mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of times you can tell that kind of like you know when an officer is wearing a vest, you can kind of tell that right there around his neckline. You know, of course you don't want to be mm-hmm. choked out by this freaking bulletproof vest. And can you imagine wearing something? That's yeah, you like, have to be able to move. Yeah, you got to be able to move and also be able. You know, your body's got to be able to breathe in there too. Imagine if that yeah. bulletproof vest came all the way up to your neck. That'd be insufferable mm-hmm. in the summer. Dude. This is something I'm looking forward to is advancements in, you know, uh, bullet stopping technology as far as like, mm-hmm. I know they've been for years, there's been discussion about like, 
whatever spider web material that shit is, how yeah. like amazing that stuff is, like super lightweight and strong, like something, some advanced shit that's like to where you can wear t-shirts that'll stop bullets. Like that'd be nice. Wow. Yeah. You know, we see these school shootings and stuff. If we could advance technology as far as that stuff goes and allow the average person to be safer walking around with very little heavy material on it'd be nice right but it has to have which some is just sort sad, of... a sad sad state of affairs that we even have to talk about that but it is what it is yeah yeah hopefully there's there's other options and things we can do as well yeah. but like i just can't imagine a t-shirt ever being able to stop a bullet man even if the t-shirt doesn't tear like it's still though it's just gonna suck that t-shirt into that bullet wound into your body and maybe it's easier to remove the bullet though and you have a you have a much better chance of living if you could just like pull your shirt and just pop that bullet out <laughs> Mm-hmm. wouldn't that be insane i'm sure there's fabric yeah. i'm sure there's fabric like that you know you hang it up you stretch it yeah. and the bullet won't penetrate it but i don't know that right. seems that seems almost impossible to me at this point but who knows i don't know i wouldn't rule anything out no absolutely not absolutely not i'm just saying to me somebody who has no fucking idea <laughs> <laughs> right so Joe's body would be found about 50 yards away from his police cruiser and strewn about nearby the crime scene were several pieces of the lieutenant's equipment, including pepper spray, baton, taser, and his radio. So all this stuff was thrown about mm-hmm. um, during an apparent scuffle with these individuals. Most importantly, uh, however, that his surf- was that his service weapon was not immediately located with his body. So his gun's missing, uh-huh. leading t- police to believe his assailants were now armed and on the run with the police officer's uh, service weapon. Right. Um, so, man, what a scuffle, though. Like, at some point, he's had his baton and all this stuff out, as well as his weapon, his gun, which is now missing. So, yeah. like, he's tried to use just about every weapon. And his pepper spray they... was used as well. His pepper spray was thrown away or thrown to the side yeah. somehow, and it had been used. They were they yeah. were able to tell that. So, yeah. something went down here. So, this, of course, now sent the small town of Fox Lake into full lockdown effect. And a massive manhunt would last uh, for weeks and had begun in search of the local heroes killers. So over 400 local law enforcement officers were assisted by agents in the FBI. The ATF uh, were all in on the search. It was all hands on deck. So that you, you imagine helicopters like every the government's even in there trying to find out who did this. Oh, yeah, of course. Which is which blows me away that it even took this long. If if two officers arrived on scene, heard a gunshot, immediately went towards the gunshot, and were still unable to find any of these suspects, ain't that crazy? Yeah, that's just, and also what's odd is that they get there and they hear one gunshot when we know that there was two. So mm-hmm. clearly there was a gap between the first gunshot and the second. If the, only one was heard when the police got there, were there any witnesses that heard the first one? No, no, no one heard the first one. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So the intense search started from the moment that they found Joe's body. Since his sidearm wasn't immediately located at the time of the discovery, the officers thought that they had armed and dangerous individuals now on the loose, obviously. Mm-hmm. So his weapon was eventually located, though, and it was, in fact, nearby the crime scene. Um, it was basically in some brush only feet away from Joe's body. They didn't realize that until later, and right. the search was already underway. But that must have uh, relieved the town a little bit to know that you know his gun was in fact near him and that they didn't have that. But that being said, they these are in, dangerous individuals nonetheless. Apparently, also why would they want to take the gun and then take a chance on being caught with that gun? And then it's a right. it's a no brainer, right? Why mm-hmm. why take the cop's gun? You've already you've already killed him. Just leave that shit there. Yeah, you know, there's no no reason to take it. Yeah. So sadly, the police didn't have much to go on in, far, in, in terms of suspects since uh, Lieutenant Joe had only described them as two white men and one black man. 
Um, they don't have much to go on with that. Mm-hmm. There was no vehicle found in the area, so apparently these people were on foot the whole time. Right. Uh, police did bring in canines, and even through thermal in- imaging cameras, out to try brought those out to try and search the swamp areas, but every time with no luck. Uh, it was as if the three men had somehow managed to take out G.I. Joe and then vanished as soon as they pulled the trigger. That's what it seems like. So, Quite a mystery going yeah, on here. Absolutely. And then you think about the timing of it. It's the week of his retirement. Mm-hmm. And once again, what was he doing out in this area to begin with? Like Strange timing. Some, some odd things here, yeah. Also, why, so doesn't, things, why doesn't he ask for backup right away? You know, that is what blows me away when I, when I looked into this case. At the beginning, yeah, I mean, what obviously, could these other officers be up to that's so important that you know him alone in the woods with three suspicious individuals isn't right. enough to require backup. Right. You've already you've already established that you're on foot chasing these individuals, mm-hmm. right? Three of them, so you're outnumbered. I, I get it. You're GI Joe. I get it. But yeah. still, you're outnumbered. You don't know what they're capable of, and then you say, "Oh, I'm good for now," and then minutes yeah. later, you then you ask for backup. You know, I don't know. It just seems weird to me. It just didn't strike Mm -hmm. me. It struck me as very odd when I first started looking into this case. Yep. So the public uh, in this small town was obviously angsty uh, and everyone was becoming frustrated as they try to find, you know, Joe's killers to Mm -hmm. no avail. Uh, But as the weeks go by, Joe's police record is released and it begins to shed some light on what kind of cop Joe really was over the past 30 years. Uh Uh-oh. Reports begin to come out about Joe's behavior and even more about his mysterious happenings with money that should have been uh, going to his Explorer program, which we'll talk about, but wasn't. Mm. Um, And after two months of investigating the death of Lieutenant Joe Glinowitz, the police were ready to report on the findings. This all-American badass may have been a little bit more bad than uh, badass (laughs) as far as this this town is concerned. Okay, okay. Some pieces are coming together. before we go into that and the police's findings of this investigation, let's talk more about Joe and his early life and his career uh, with the police department. Okay. So Joe Glinowitz was born Charles Joseph Glinowitz on August 25th, 1963 in Libertyville, Indiana. He shares a birthday with Sean Conroy, Tim Burton, Blake Lively, and Gene Simmons. Quite a group. Yeah, that's a hell of a crew. One of the best crews I think we've had. Yeah. Man, OGI yep. Joe is in good company. Yep. And he was one of five children born to Joseph and Debbie Glinowitz. Mm, probably His the oldest. First steps, yeah. Named after the dad, yeah. you know, typically. Oh, yeah. Joe Jr. Yep. Oh, Joe Jr. So his first steps in his military career began in high school when he spent two years at the Marmion Military Academy, which is a boys only Catholic high school in Aurora, Illinois. Okay. So right away, getting that discipline, um, you know, a bit of a head start towards a military career mm-hmm. in law enforcement as well. Um, he would then enlist into the United States Army right out of high school in 1981, where he would serve four years. And after leaving the Army, uh, Joe was hired by the Fox, the Fox Lake Police Department in 1985, where he would serve uh, for 30 years up until the time of his suspicious death. Mm-hmm. After Joe's first year as a cop, he joined the Fox Lake the Police uh, Explorers Post 300 part of the Boy Scouts of America that teaches young adults about law enforcement. So he's become this, um, you know, big influence on the youth of Fox Lake and yeah. teaching them, the kids that, that you know have a tendency to want to go into law enforcement later, he's teaching them a lot uh, and giving them a head start as far yeah. as towards a police career. Which is really smart, I think. I think if they, they started training police officers this early, more often I think they would be a lot more prepared. You know, for hand to hand. Yeah, assuming you have the right trainers in place. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think Joe knew his shit. He, I think the yeah. bad aspects of his life weren't necessarily in his techniques, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was another thing. And let me teach you kids how you embezzle from the police department <laughs> oh, different programs. No. <laughs> no, you don't teach that. You got to learn that shit on your own. <laughs> right. Um, so after one year with the Explorers program, he was running the post. And it was within the first three years of his time as an officer that he met and married his wife, Melody. The two of them would remain married for 26 years until Joe's death. Wow. They would also have four sons together, one of which would follow closely in his father's footsteps. Yeah, it's easy to tell which one that was watching the documentaries. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. I'm like, that one right. looks just like his dad. He's he's like tattooed. You could tell he like works out and stuff. He wears like American flag hats every day, you know. Yeah. He's definitely following in his dad's footsteps. And then the other two look like they were like professional software engineers or something. Or two of the right. other ones that I saw. I didn't see all four boys uh, in the documentary. But it's interesting the way kids the way kids differentiate from their parents, right? If you have a lot of kids, I would say, you know, if you have three or four kids or whatever, there's always one or so that kind of follows in their parents' footsteps, but they all don't want to do that, right? It's like, nah, that that spot's already taken. Like, Joe the third is already like dad. I'll just be whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's just interesting. Yeah, Joe, Joe, uh, his his son's image and Joe's image was looked at as kind of a, you know, a, a reason for his success or part of the reason for his success in running the Explorer program is that he could, um, the, the youth identified with him because he didn't fit the, the mold of your typical police officer. He was more, he had more of a bad boy vibe. He had the tattoos and smoked mm-hmm. cigarettes like a chimney. Yeah. And, and he also had a sense of humor as well. Yeah. He didn't take himself too serious. Yeah. So y- young kids kind of, uh, gravitated towards him. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, during Joe's time as an officer at Fox Lake, he also served 23 years in the Army Reserves, earning accommodations and medals in what what his eventual personnel file would list as too numerous to mention as far as the the medals and accommodations. And he, he had like a really long list of um, uh, positive reports as a police officer as well. A ton of people writing in saying how much Joe helped them with this situation or that situation. Yeah. That being said, there was quite a file on the other end as well. Yeah. You have that with these long careers yeah. typically. Yeah, you deal with people so much in the public as an officer that I'm sure most officers have a file of good and bad as well. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like just doing your job, even if you're just doing what you're supposed to do by the guidelines or whatever, you're still going to anger so many people over the course of 30 yeah. years as a public servant that you're gonna have mm-hmm. some bad shit in that file. Yeah. So Joe gained a lot of attention for his efforts with the Explorers Post, even going as far as teaching SWAT and sniper training to the past uh, to the members of his post. And this is where the GI Joe nickname really started coming into steady use. He always carried himself like a soldier and physically resembled the action figure: crew cut, pants tucked into his boots, shirt tucked in, always in army or tactical clothing, even while off duty, and of <laughs> course was tatted up as well. Right. Um, I don't know if he did this, but I just when I picture him, I picture like a cigarette pack rolled up in his sleeve. Oh, definitely. Right? <laughs> he's probably got like an extra clip for his Glock in the other one. Right. For sure. <laughs> Lots of extra pockets with ammunition in them and shit. Yeah. A guy, guys like him never want to be caught sleeping, right? You never catch this dude definitely, in like shorts and, and flip-flops. You don't catch him in this. Definitely a, a tactical knife in his boot for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe another like a little 380 or something in the other one. You know. Yeah, exactly. This guy's packing always. Yeah. Joe was always in good shape and stood at 5'11 and 160 pounds. 
He did, however, chain smoke, and the majority of his adult life was diagnosed with early pulmonary uh, emphysema uh, by the time of his death. Mm. He became a decorated officer and held several uh, training positions, including K-9, field training, and even SWAT. So very knowledgeable in almost all aspects of police work, it seems. Right, right. And quite knowledgeable about the military, too, with extensive time in there. Mm-hmm. So he would rise through the ranks at uh, at the Fox Lake Police Department and was promoted to the rank of sergeant in 2000, eventually ending his career as a lieutenant. He gained an immense amount of love and support from the community for his work with the Explorers Post. Uh, that was where he made his mark the most. Obviously, it was training the youth and uh, preparing them for uh, an eventual career in law enforcement. Well, and yeah, and that you have to imagine that is his greatest connection to the community as a whole as well, mm -hmm. right? I know he did a lot for the police department. He did a lot for the different areas of the police department. But when you have that community involvement, especially when you're teaching something so so practical, right? So so usable and whatnot, like you're going to make a lot of connections with not only the kids that you teach, but their parents, their aunts, their uncles, yep. their grandparents. And it kind of starts to establish this this reputation within the community. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know he's probably training uh, children or grandchildren of people above him at the police department mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's definitely a way to, to make your mark. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he worked with lots of youth over the years, and many of which went on to work alongside him at the Fox Lake PD. In a small Midwest town, a, a club like that can be very popular, and a man like Joe can stand out to a lot of people. He literally became, became the town's G.I. Joe. It was during his time um, as head of the Explorer's Post that Joe's all-American character began to slip, however. As mentioned earlier, after Joe's death, his police record was released and those slips of character started becoming public knowledge. Mm. It was once the public started uh, to get the kind of things that Joe had been up to, uh, they, they got wind of this, right? Um, that things his, his image changed a bit. Um, so we'll go into that. The personal file of Joe Glinowitz was 264 pages long. The first half of his record was shining. It was uh, when he was first making a name for himself in the town and trying to build up his image. But things slowly slowly started to snowball um, in his personal life with complaints and write-ups uh, he was starting to get. First, first for small things, uh, missing meetings, being late, things like that. Once uh, for not writing enough traffic tickets for the month. Mm -hmm. Which we always you always hear from police like oh we don't have a quota you know as far as like handing out tickets yeah uh huh come on now now we know better but also I see Joe as like somebody who thinks he's too important for traffic stops I don't think he's doing this yes. as like a service to humanity and like giving people a break I think Joe's like mm -hmm. I'm not wasting my time pulling somebody over I should be making like drug busts and you know catching mm -hmm. criminals and being in high speed chases and like he's like that shit's beneath me you know what I'm saying right I could see that. You know, he's G.I. Joe. Also, I think he all. cared about, I think he cared more about the public's image of him than he did the police department's image of him. So, like, giving, handing out a bunch of tickets is just going to, like, soften that, that, you know, love that the community had for him. Mm -hmm. So, I'm, like you said, I imagine him pulling people over and giving them a break over and over again because he yeah. wants that perfect public image. Yeah. 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 Maybe that too. <clears throat> yeah. Eventually, though, his record started uh, showing much more different side of him than the public had been privy to. Joe began receiving complaints of inappropriate behavior, sexual harassment, drunkness, and even threats to their other officers. Once even joking about uh, shooting a dispatcher in the chest and then dumping the body in the lake. Whoa. That incident even got him demoted at the time, back down to sergeant. But then he went on to regain his lieutenant rank a few years later. Some things included that he uh, stole a tattoo certificate that was donated to the PD and then used it while on duty to get a free tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tattoos are expensive, bro. 
Tattoos are expensive. Right. I don't necessarily. I mean, I don't know. And if it was donated to the PD, he works for them. He's probably one of the few that's actually going to use it. Uh, right. I didn't have too much of an issue with that. I mean, he obviously should have gotten permission to to take it and yeah. use it, but I don't. I th- he probably would have gotten permission if he asked anyway. Especially nowadays. I mean, everybody's got tattoos nowadays. You know, somebody could use yeah. it. I'd like to get more tattoos, yeah. but that shit's expensive. Right. You just need a certificate. <laughs> yeah, it's just a certificate. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to find some kitchen, some kitchen uh, tattooer man. There's got to be a li- there's got to be a listener who does tattoos in the in the North Carolina area. Got to hook you up. Yeah, hook me up, peeps. Give me a discount. Right. <laughs> so uh, Joe had been letting the explore the explorers base uh, explorers uh, program basically act as his uh, his own cops. Multiple occasions of people being arrested and telling the officer that they knew Joey, so they could basically get away with whatever they wanted in their yeah. eyes because they knew GI Joe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a report in his file about him being found passed out drunk behind the wheel of his truck and the foot still on the gas. <laughs> oh shit. Obviously this was it was ta- in park. This is a time when gas was cheaper, clearly. Uh, right. <laughs> he was trying to cool down That'd his car, it. man. It was hot in there. You know, he had the AC be an expensive endeavor these days. <laughs> his car's just redlining um, while in park at the bar. <laughs> right. Um, Joe had multiple complaints of sexual harassment and sexual assault, including grabbing females' breasts, making oh. passes and comments about female officers, and even having sexual relations with sub- his subordinates, Uh-oh. some of which included him pressuring them into sexual actions with him over their jobs. Mm. So he's a Harvey Weinstein-type fellow as well here. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, this never looks good. And all this shit was in his public file? Uh, I don't know if Apparently. it became public after his death or... I'm sure this was not public common knowledge in the community until after his death. Like right. people probably would gossip about it that knew him and knew the police department well. But yeah, but these reports, the, the majority these of the reports had about this. But these reports had to be filed. I mean, maybe his report was his uh, actual file was being kept secret, but that shit had to be in mm-hmm. there. So that means other officers oh, yeah. probably knew about this stuff. Yeah. So. Um, in 2003, there was a federal lawsuit against both the village and the PD stating that Joe had pressured a female officer under his command to give, give him oral sex five times in 2000 alone. Ugh, that is not a good look. That is not no. a good look, my friend. That's criminal. Yeah. Like, he should be in jail for that right yeah, there. That alone. Yeah. Pretty fucked up. Um, she, she also worked under Joe at the Explorer's Post and resigned from there before she reported the conduct. Uh, yeah. I mean, that makes sense, though. Some people might be like, well, why'd you wait so long? Well, because her superior officer was the one doing this shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she didn't want to, yep. she didn't want to ruin her whole career over this. And somebody like Joe, who knows what he would do mm-hmm. to keep that shit a secret when he's still alive? Who knows? Yep. Right. It's yep. like, I'd be, yep. I'd be, I'd be a little bit hesitant to come out as well until after I'm far yep. away from him. Yeah. Well, we heard about the things he considered doing to the person who exposes his, uh, you know, his, yeah, his, money laundering and, and and use of the money that goes into the Explore program. He yeah. discussed offing her a little bit, and we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um. So this lawsuit against him in the police department stated that the chief was informed of Joe's actions, that his punishment would be 30-day suspension and recommended, uh, recommended sexual addiction counseling. He wasn't requiring, though, only recommending. So, mm-hmm. you know, okay. that's that's effective, just recommending someone do something when they've clearly been abusing their power rather than making them do it. Right. Yeah. 
um, the lawsuit would be dismissed in court in 2005 after her and her attorney missed deadlines to file certain responses. And in 2006, she lost her appeal as well as the lawsuit was dropped. So Joe gets away with this one. Um, all of the reports against Joe came to a head, however, in 2009 when a group of fellow officers wrote a letter to the mayor that outlined Joe's behaviors and his actions at the PD. So that talk a minute ago about do you think the other officers knew? Yeah, they definitely did because yeah, they, they actually band together to try and expose what he's been up to. The officers stated that they had reports uh, that they had reported his actions to the chief of police in Fox Lake, but due to his lack of action or discipline dealt to Joe, they felt that they needed to go over his head. So he clearly had uh, the chief on his side, which allowed him to get away with a lot of stuff for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, he was a good officer though. You know, he wanted somebody like that, somebody who could handle shit on their own. Mm -hmm. and t and, you know, teacher's pet tends to get away with a lot more shit. Yeah. These officers said they could tell that Joe was up to no good and his actions were starting to show that he was becoming more and more corrupt. Some even felt that Joe possibly had some dirt on the chief or the mayor that allowed him to stay at his job, <laughs> though it was never proven. Yep. Very, uh, very possible as well. Maybe Joe was at a couple of parties where some shit went down and chief did some things. Who knows? Oh, yeah. You never know, man. It's a we've talked about it before, man. There's a there's a fraternity aspect into most police departments, you know, not all of them. And I'm not saying yeah. all of them are run by that, but there there's usually a small a small boys club amongst uh, most of these officers and if you get in with the chief you get in with your boss a lot of shit can just go away can disappear mm -hmm. pretty easily yep so his behavior continued for years throughout his career and pretty much up until his death all of this was kept hidden away from the public however until the time of the of his passing and during the initial manhunts for his for the killers the police pushed the image of gi joe the good guy the town rally behind so there was parades there was I mean, the public was in full support and was more focused on finding who did this to this, you know, local hero mm -hmm. um, until, uh, you know, the investigation went down and, and basically finally exposed what he really was. Yep. Um, things started to crumble around Joe. Let's go back, though, and to what led up to his his death. Um Things started to crumble around Joe in the spring of 2014. In March that year, a new village administrator was hired by Fox Lake, and this woman unknowingly would make herself an, an enemy of, of Lieutenant Joe just in just a little over a year into her role. Anne Marin uh, was just doing her job when she began to try and figure out where some of the money in her village's budget was going. Anne started digging into the Explorer's Post and began noticing that there seemed to be no oversight as to where any of the funds that were allocated by the village and the PD other than by Joe himself. So he had full control over the mm -hmm. Explorer program's uh, funding from the town and was basically just using it for his own Doing whatever fun. he wants. I mean, he's not being held yeah. accountable. So, mm -hmm. I mean, he's G.I. Joe. Everybody trusts him, right? Mm -hmm. At this point, Joe had been using the Explorer's funds as his own personal bank account for over seven years, paying his mortgage, family vacations, spa trips, health clubs, gift cards, and even an account for an adult website. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Like, doesn't he know all that shit could be traced? Like, what the fuck is... Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm sure the town would be excited to learn that he, you know, he was funding his Brazzers account with uh, their tax dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> all money he's making uh, training their children. Right. Uh, his family had become more aware of his actions and had, had been enjoying the benefits of the thefts over the years as well. So it appears as though his wife was aware mm -hmm. and even uh, at least one of his sons, right? Yeah, yeah. His, I think it's yeah. his oldest son. 
Donald. His son, Donald, or DJ, who joined the Army after his father, who also had been a part of Joe's financial crimes, even accepted thousands of dollars from his father uh, from the Explorers Fund to fix his truck, which he apparently used on a trip instead. <laughs> so this woman, Anne Marin, began to shake things up so much in Fox Lake, Fox Lake that the chief of police, who had been uh, over Joe for many years of his career, Michael ba- Bahan, resigned. So there goes Joe's backer, the mm-hmm. guy above him that kind of kept him clean for all this time yeah he's now gone he had the uh the old the old michael bond he he was in his pocket man he had him mm-hmm. i don't know paid off or like you say maybe yeah he had you have to wonder if maybe some well. of the explorer money was going was getting kicked up to him to keep oh, him quiet could be could be yeah maybe he should have done the same thing with ann here he didn't get to her soon mm-hmm. enough <laughs> so joe started to feel the walls closing in on him and began to really panic about what ann marin might find in her digging into his explorer's post and as investigations would show, Lieutenant Joe was feeling pressure to figure out how to solve his money problems with the Explorers Club. He was also looking for ways to solve the administration administra- administrator problem. So this Anne Marin, mm-hmm. maybe rather than try and figure out how to come up with the money that you'd been stealing, uh, you just get rid of the, the middleman or the issue that's bringing this to um, light. But, I mean, even if you get rid of her, her, her job, her, her position is still there. Like somebody has to fill that position. It's like, when do you stop? Yeah, but doing I imagine this? there was a person there before that was just not doing it as well. Maybe she's he, he's hoping that if he gets rid of her, someone new will come in that just doesn't dig into the Explorer program as much. Or maybe he can befriend this new person or whatever. Yeah, or maybe he can threaten the new person and be like, "Hey, yeah, you know why? You know why this position came open again so quickly? <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's not let that yeah. happen again. Just do right. your job, okay? <laughs> but not but don't too do well. It. But not too well. At the same time, yeah, don't do it too well. So Anne Marin continued to pursue answers to where the funds for the Explorer's Post were actually going, demanding receipts, bank statements, credit reports, or anything that could help her figure out where the town's money was disappearing to. And by the morning of uh, September 1st, 2015, Anne had requested a full inventory report from from Lieutenant Joe and from his Explorer's Post. But it was on that morning that Joe was headed to work work that day and his final radio calls came through. This was the day that, you know, he ended up getting allegedly killed or apparently killed Mm -hmm. um so let's discuss the department's investigation that followed uh, lieutenant joe's death the police had already immediately issued a citywide manhunt that would go on the forefront of the whole town's mind news programs picked up the story and it became a sensation as soon as the world heard that a local hero cop had been slain in the line of duty Um, We talked earlier about when the officers arrived on the scene and they heard that fatal shot that killed Lieutenant Joe. And when they discovered the body, um, how they weren't able to locate his sidearm. um, But then they did ultimately find the the gun nearby. Right. Initially, you're thinking if if, if his gun is gone, there's this suicide's ruled out, right? Like how could he have shot himself fatally and then the gun be completely gone? And there's two shots too. It's like if you were going to kill yourself, why why shoot yourself twice? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but despite there being any, uh, any and every lead into the suspects that Joe Lieutenant reported, uh, report was reportedly chasing the crime scene investigation team and the village coroner's office still had the task of determining exactly how Joe was killed. The crime scene around the abandoned cement factory seemed to give investigators little evidence to collaborate with the story that Lieutenant Joe had given over the radio. He had been shot two times. It seemed one had hit his body armor, uh, and, and his cell phone deflecting it from penetrating into his torso, but the other shot was fired from the, yeah, exactly. Right. That's real convenient. I'm surprised he didn't hit his badge, you know, that old, that old shtick. Right. Um, well, there's not information on his badge that he would, wouldn't want people to see. You see what I'm saying? That's why I say the cell phone is convenient. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. Imagine, yeah, true. imagine the evidence true. on that cell phone, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. That's tricky. But I mean, it's not like you can't get cell phone records from the from the actual provider and true that's where they get a lot of the text messages back and forth between him and his wife and him him and his son yeah but you may not be able to get taken from the explorer program but you may not be able to get pictures videos uh gps data yeah. all that kind of shit mm-hmm. yeah so the first shot as we mentioned went through the vest and through the cell phone the second shot was fired under the top of his his vest at a downward angle hit his pulmonary artery and caused him to bleed out in a matter of minutes so that answers your question earlier about how it would have gotten past the vest mm-hmm downward angle like basically in the yep. neck area in that the you neck. mentioned yep yep they could find no evidence of anyone else ever actually being on the scene of where joe was killed what they did find however was joe's tight arm laying about three feet from his body apparently the area was overgrown and swampy um so much so that the gun wasn't able to be located within the first several hours so that apparently rules out the, you know the possibility of it not being a suicide at least now they you know that's in the, the in the cards potentially mm-hmm. With the gun being located and the rest of the crime scene being examined, the investigators began to notice many things that weren't lining up exactly with homicide. While Joe's gear and radio were strewn about, seemingly used and lost in self-defense, there wasn't actually any signs of a real struggle that took place. His body and clothes weren't disheveled or scuffed up. So if you're getting into such a scuffle that all of your weapons uh, and defense mechanisms are strewn about, Mm -hmm. but yet like it, it would it would only make sense that there would be some scuffs on you scratches your clothing would be torn something yeah. for sure but none of that he was basically immaculate aside from the the gunshots yeah that is odd yeah um so police began deducing from the crime scene that lieutenant Joe Glinowitz may have in fact been murdered by a trio of random assailants but that he may have staged and that uh, instead he may have staged and set up an elaborate suicide all to try and avoid facing the consequences of criminal action and uh, his criminal actions that had come to light or were about to come to light right before his retirement. This might've put a dampening in his, he, in his retirement. If all this stuff comes out, you know, this is bad timing for him. He's, oh, God, he's at yeah. his 30 years. He's ready to retire. And then this new, treasurer if you will comes in and starts examining where the money's going yeah it's like fuck it's about to retire right instead of retirement you go into prison Mm -hmm. yeah don't look good so the the truth finally comes to light on november 4th 2015 when the fox lake police department um the leader the lead investigator on the case and commander of the lake county major crimes task force george flinko announced to the public that the investigation into the murder of joe uh, joe glinowitz had come to a close the major crimes task force had come to the undeniable conclusion that Lieutenant Joe had taken his own life and had done to done so, uh, done his best to stage the crime scene to appear as though he had been murdered. Mm. So a shock to the, to the community. You have to imagine all this time they've been looking for this person spending untold amounts of money and, um, you know, police work that could have been spent, spent better elsewhere to find these killers that were not real. Lord. Yeah. Cause you know, the resources they use to find a killed cop or to solve a killed cop's murder mm-hmm. is extensive. Yeah, yeah, endless, extensive. There's a lot of overtime paid, a lot of helicopter mm-hmm. searches and things like that, all Which for nothing. has been speculated that you know a lot of insiders within Fox Lake uh, Police Department knew from the get-go that this was a suicide, knowing what they knew on Joe, mm-hmm. and yet they took the overtime anyway. There's been some speculation about that. Yeah. Well, what are they supposed but, to do? They're just officers. What are they supposed to do? Be come out and be like, "Nah, we thought we think he committed suicide." Like, if you're just yeah, an officer, you're just an, you're just a, a beat cop. What? 
Nobody's listening to you. It doesn't matter if you right. do know that it's bullshit. You got to go do your job. Mm-hmm. That's what, that was your orders. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Joe had elaborately called over the radio, gave fake ID, uh, vague IDs of his attackers, placed his gear around him in an attempt to show that he fought for his life before ultimately firing the fatal blow on himself as soon as officers arrived nearby. So you have to think he heard them pull in. He had already fired the first shot, like either before he called mm-hmm. or shortly after calling uh, dispatch on the radio. And then as he hears the backup arrive, he knows it's 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 the, his time's up. It's time to to kind of right. put a cap on it. And that's what blows me away: the fact that this backup arrived. Right? They heard the gunshot because he heard them. So that means they were very close. Mm-hmm. They hear the gunshot that uh, these three alleged assailants did. And then mm-hmm. by the time they get around the building or through the alley or whatever the hell it is to Joe, mm-hmm. they're just gone. gone. They're just completely gone. gone. Yep. So much so that a full, full-fledged full uh, search involving helicopters, the ATF, the FBI, everybody, no yeah. one could ever no. find a whiff of them. Yeah. That's 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 my first doubting, doubting clue right there. Yeah. Right. Uh, quote, this is one of a kind case, uh, type of case with the staging of a crime scene. Usually you have someone who tried to make a homicide look like a suicide. This was just the opposite, says George Falinko. Um, the team was not only prepared to announce their conclusion in what had happened to Lieutenant Joe, they were also prepared to reveal the findings of the rest of the investigation into everything surrounding Joe's death. They discovered throughout the course of their investigation that Joe had embezzled around $50,000 of funds from the Explorers funds over the years he had been in charge of it. Mm-hmm. You would think it'd be more than that. It's really not that much money no i mean i guess not it's a lot to embezzle i mean yeah i mean it's 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 enough definitely for them to follow up with criminal you know criminal charges but i'm just saying like for someone who'd been in uh the military as long as he had and someone who'd been in law enforcement as long as and had a high rank you would think he would have that much at least in savings or something and been able to but then again why would you if you were stealing from you wouldn't need to steal from the explorer program if he must have basically what i'm saying he must have been fucking terrible with money because like he was. I'm guessing he had a pension from the military at this point, and also was 30 years into a you know being lieutenant in right. a police department. He must have been making damn good money. Like, how bad are you with money that you then need to also embezzle from from the Explorer program? 50k. Well, you know? I don't know. I mean, you have to. I don't know. I think there's a certain lifestyle that they want to put off. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a certain success rate that you wanna you wanna look like. I think when you're, I would have thought that, that he could have he could have made this right, especially having a you know the chief of police on his side for a time. Mm-hmm. He could have seen the writing on the wall and maybe and maybe, he would have to think he had like a four hundred one k or something. He could have pulled money out of and and paid back the money that he stole from the Explorer program and kind of like washed it under the rug and and yeah. gone into his retirement. Well, he did have four kids, man. You know, I mean that's an expense and four boys at that. I mean, I would hate to see his grocery bill alone. Like so, I mean, the dude had to spend some money. And like I said, it, it, he didn't look like he he barred really any expenses. Looked yeah. like they had you know nice stuff, nice place. That's, yeah, I think that's all it came down to. And I'm sure he just lived. He lived for the moment. Yeah, and, and blew every penny that he made. It seems like. And I'm sure he had an extensive firearms collection, and you know how oh, yeah. that can get very expensive. I mean, just ammo alone nowadays is expensive enough. Like, and imagine mm-hmm. this man probably had a closet full of assault rifles and all types of different weapons and whatnot. So I'm yeah. sure he had expensive hobbies, put it that way. Yeah. So uh, the police were able to recover over 6,500 deleted text messages from Joe's phone. 
that it not only detailed many of his different withdrawals from the Explorers Fund and their purposes, but also revealed to them that his wife, Melody, and his son, DJ, may have very well been involved in his crimes as well. Mm. Joe had texted his son numerous times talking about Anne Marin, the woman who was investigating him for his use of the funds going into the Explorer program, discussing how they hoped that she would have a few drinks one night and he could get her for a DUI, or even about planting drugs on her to get her arrested as well. Wow. He's desperate. So, yeah. We joke all the time about this, but it really does happen. Apparently, if a, poli- if a, a police officer in a small town that you know is connected mm-hmm. wants to get you, they can, they can find ways to do it. That's terrifying. That is like one of my, right. that's like one of my worst fears, man, because who are they going to believe? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when you got 30 years on the force. If, yep. if he would have planted something, she would have went down for sure. Well, even worse than that, forget the planting of drugs. He also uh, discussed in these text messages having her taken out altogether with the head of a local biker gang. Mm. Quote, several weeks into the investigation, once uh, once uh, all the phone records, advanced ballistics testing, and financials came together, oh my God, Falinko said, you would think after 11 years with the task force, nothing would surprise me. That was one of those benchmark moments in your life when you never forget where you were, like when President Kennedy was assassinated. That's how much of a shock this was, these findings about, you know, what Joe had really been up to and the fact that, you know, he definitely killed himself to, you know, hide his past. But right. yeah, he could just the fact that he considered using a biker gang to kill this woman to disguise his well, uh, misdeeds with this money. Well, I mean, you know, he's already considering suicide probably. And he's like, yeah. if this doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself anyways. So I might as well mm-hmm. do whatever. I could do. And I don't know what fell through with the biker gang. Maybe they didn't trust him or, or maybe they wanted nothing to do with it, which was smart. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. killing, killing someone in the police force for someone in the police force. That's, that can't be good. Something's not right here. Yeah. Mm. So Joe had, uh, he had spent his entire adult life trying to build up an image for everyone else to put in the public to see, so once the pieces of his perfect life started to fall apart, he decided to stage an elaborate scene where he could get out as the hero rather than uh, have his dirty deeds exposed and he tried. potentially go to jail or prison for what he had done. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about the fallout now that we know what actually happened on that fateful day. Mm-hmm. For years following the suicide of Lieutenant Joe Glinowitz, the town of Fox Lake was left reeling from the effects. Many, of the, uh, many and most of the citizens were completely shocked when the information began coming out about Joe. You have to, they must feel silly too, because they were out there in full support of him going to parades and like, you know, compelling the the police to do a better job of finding his killers. And then all of a sudden it comes out that he staged this whole thing and they must've been, they must've felt betrayed, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And silly um, in a way. You feel really silly, mm-hmm. like dedicating all that time. Yeah. There were businesses who were dedicating days yeah. to this man, you know, it's just, yeah. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, he had such a good reputation amongst the public that some were horrified when the reports came out. Some didn't even want to believe it. There was actually, uh, do you see the interviews of people on the streets that were like oh, saying it was conspiracy? <laughs> well, there's people like, There's people that now still don't believe it. They yeah, still don't. Yeah. And like I say, you know, I mean, 30 years on the force, he, he did some good too. Like you can't, you, yeah. you can't just mark that out. There were plenty of lives I'm sure that he saved. There's plenty of people who he saved from domestic disputes and this and that and robberies. But... You know, and those are the people who are like, well, he was always good to me, you know. It's like, yeah, well, I well, get it, but he still did some really terrible things. Most of the time, people are judged for their worst moment more so than their That's multiple, so true, you know, man. That's so true, many good moments. That's so, so true. It's like you can do everything uh, right, but if you fuck up one time, everybody's going to remember that shit. 
Yeah. Everybody's going to remember. That being said, he fucked up a whole lot more than one time. No, for sure. For sure. (laughs) He he repeatedly did things like this where forcing himself onto women when he's in a position of power, Mm -hmm. stealing money from a cadet program, like all this stuff. But yeah, I I know what you're getting at. But this is maybe not the best example of that. No, 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 no. Um, the Explorer's Post 300 was eventually shut down following the scandal of Lieutenant Joe. It was cited as failing to comply with the standards and rules of the Boy Scouts of America. No shit. Mm. Uh, Joe's crimes also put a stain on the entire Fox Lakes PD in the public eyes and uh, in the public's eye. And following the manhunt that was started in pursuit of his attackers, the town was also left to deal with several lawsuits from citizens who were targeted as suspects. The police actually paid out uh, some money to some of the you know people that they had targeted as potentially being Joe's killer, and um, who knows how much they were pressing on these people. You know, there's a lot of pressure to find his killers. So oh, I imagine yeah. they were when they found somebody they thought was a suspect, they were probably grilling the shit out of these guys. Oh yeah, there were some lives interrupted over this investigation mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, they owed multiple men were brought in as suspects in the killing of Lieutenant Joe. Right. Uh, and some of them sued the city for their actions of the police during their time. The men uh, when they thought they had been responsible, the city even settled with one man, one man early on for sixty five thousand dollars just to avoid like going to trial and becoming a whole thing. Mm. Mm. And he costed them so much money. He costed him so much money <laughs> during Forget his career the 50K, and dude. after the amount of money he, he caused them after his fake death. Right, his, his fake murder. So much went far beyond fifty k. Just the search probably. alone. Just the search alone. Yeah, maybe into seven figures. Oh God! When you consider all the OT, like, yeah, it got insane, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not only did the town have to deal with Joe himself, but they also needed to deal with his wife Melody. Melody was a part of helping her husband move and deposit money from the Explorers' funds into their accounts. They knew from the phone records and texts that Joe had deleted that he had discussed these things with Melody and that she was in the loop on large transactions going in and out of the accounts. In 2016, Melody was eventually charged with embezzling an amount between ten dollars and $100,000 and six more charges including money laundering and misuse of charitable funds. Um, and now there is a, a more re- recent update. So this is ongoing. She actually yes. has finally been sentenced uh, this year, just two months ago in April, mm-hmm. uh, to 18 to 24 months of probation after finally pleading guilty to the felony charge of deceptive practices in February. The plea deal was made six years after legal wrangling, six years of legal wrangling when arguing. But when the plea deal uh, with this plea deal, she was also eligible for a judge to grant uh, the felony conviction to be removed from her record due to her first time being a first time offender. So she gets a bit of a slap on the wrist for all this. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so, especially since you were a knowing participant this whole time. Mm -hmm. It's like if your husband wasn't a war hero, he wasn't a cop. I don't think this goes this well. Mm hmm. Mm-mm. investigators also pursued leads into joe's son dj after his father's suicide and the indictment of his mother but there wasn't enough evidence in the messages to directly prove that dj knew exactly where the money his father had given him had come from so they kept it just vague enough yeah he had a good lawyer it sounds like right yeah dj um, lawyered up yeah he also had never directly made any threats against Anne marin uh when his father had been talking about doing what he wished would happen to her so they weren't able to get any conspiracy charges on him either. They also were not uh, directly planning anything to do to her. Joe was mostly just talking about what could or what he wished would happen. So, understandable, I guess. And I don't honestly. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think DJ or Melody are going to be in this type of environment anymore. Well, I don't know about DJ. Maybe he grows older and follows in his dad's footsteps, but I doubt he makes the same mistakes. 
I doubt he has as much opportunity to do so either. You know, the whole town knows his father but unless the, he moves somewhere else. Well, he could, I was about to say, it's, it's, that's easy. You just pick up and move. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. not that bad. I was going to say, his reputation in this town has got to be pretty stained. You know, yeah, people it, know that not only did his father do that stuff, but he's like a, you know, basically a, a miniature version of his father and was also involved in this stuff. He looks just stuff. like him. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. just being a Glenowitz in this town is going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm. Yep. But yeah, that does it for this case. Hope you guys enjoyed this uh, murder mystery, which turned out to be a suicide uh, with a lot of corruption as well. Yeah. Gosh. Small town police work can get uh, dirty sometimes. You think? The, 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 boys, the boys club you talked about, that, that seems to be uh, much more prevalent in small towns. They can get away with a lot more. It is because they're kind of, they're out of the seeing eye, right? They're not as, they don't have as mm-hmm. much federal um, infl- or uh, federal oversight. Oversight, yeah. They're not they're not peeking their nose into it as much as like Chicago PD. You know what I'm saying? Like Chicago PD, they're probably under the microscope all the time. Not to mention mm-hmm. the size of that police force itself. I think uh, kind of they kind of hold each other accountable a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But in these small towns, I mean, especially when you have a, a war hero of this caliber and someone with the right you know charismatic attitude, the right um training or whatnot i mean they can come over they can come to a small town and just take over which it kind of seemed like joe did i realized he wasn't the man in charge but it seemed like he had a lot of pull in this small town and that's absolutely that's toxic man that's toxic but you know what you don't want to be toxic your armpits you do not want toxic oh, good one you know what i mean yep nobody likes definitely that, no yeah you, can- <laughs> you want an all-natural armpit that's what i always say that's what i always say and the best way to do that is with oh my gaia which is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there's tons of scents to choose from, from vanilla to cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, one of my favorites, uh, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop, another one of my favorites, and so much more, guys, including our very own scent, True Crime Pine. I always keep a jar of True Crime Pine on hand, you know? That's the ones I give out to to friends and family, and and I like to wear it. It's a nice uh, unisex scent, and it goes great with everything. It really does. If you don't know where to start, try with some True Crime Pine. Um, but because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word Creeper for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Again, use word Creeper for 15% off, guys. You won't regret it. All right. That's uh, one of our primary sponsors. The other is another all-natural uh, company, mm-hmm. a small small company that you can help support um, and support our show as well by doing so, and that is Tonic CBD. Yes. Not all CBD products are created equal. Whatever you're getting at the gas station or the grocery store may not be up to the standards that your body requires, and that's why Tonic, that's where Tonic comes in. From how the hemp is grown and processed to how it's formulated and delivered into your body, every step of the process that goes into making the product affects your ultimate experience with it. Tonic has original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods, and has been doing so since back in 2017 uh, to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible. Tonic cultivates their own hemp on their certified organic family farm in upstate New York. That hemp travels only 30 minutes to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility where it's turned into a finished product and sent
sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every step of the process. Their farm-to-bottle CBD plus botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. Each and every high-quality ingredient is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the the benefits of CBD, resulting in a more effective, well-rounded, and consistent wellness solution for your mind and body. And much like, oh my guy, they have a bunch of different blends. And if uh, these, you know, depending on your needs, uh, you, you can find which one fits you. But Chill Tonic for me has been a, a savior for anxiety. It also has ashwagandha, lemon balm, and passion flower to deliver a super calming effect. Um, they also have blends with black seed oil in it, which is an anti- antioxidant powerhouse, and mm-hmm. it's great for your immune system. Um, so yeah, check out Tonic. Uh, they... With qualities, uh, with values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating a plant-based wellness solution uh, that are good for the people and good for the planet. So visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word Creeper to save 20%. Mm -hmm. That's tonicvibes.com, code word Creeper for 20% off your order. Right on. And guys, that is grown and packaged right here in the U.S. in New York. Yep. So pretty amazing stuff that the farm is only 30 minutes from the factory like you can't beat that stuff, man. You can't beat it. No. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to take a minute to give some uh, props to those who have taken them, uh, the time to rate and review the show. Yes. I want to say thank you to Joe's Duramax in the U.S. Says TCG are great. These guys make you feel like you're sitting on a patio at your local bar with your buddies having a cold beer. The conversation goes off the rails at times, but that's what these guys do. Yeah. Um, I like how they don't have cheesy sound effects or clips in each case. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. Thank you, Joe Ma- Joe's Duramax in the U.S. I know. Thanks, And Joe. we got uh, Wispy White in Canada. Hey, Canada. Hey. Uh, says, fabulous. Five stars. Thank you. Hey, short and sweet. That's all you need to do. We'll take it. And then we got D. Kelly 822 in the U.S. says, the word naranja is Spanish for orange and is pronounced ranja. Uh, can't find you on Facebook, though. Diane Kelly, Mesa, Arizona. So thank you, Diane. I don't know what that was even about. I, it must have been referenced to some episode that I forgot about. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we mispronounce stuff often, so we have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. Cool. Um, let's talk about our Patreon page. Yes. Why don't you? Yes, absolutely. Patreon.com slash true crime guys. Guys, look right below the description of this episode, and you'll see a link with uh, all caps. It says, everything true crime guys. If you click that link tree... You, it will take you to everything that we create, including our Patreon page. Or you can get there, patreon.com slash guys. like I said. Uh, we have a $2 tier where you can jump on to hear all of our monthly exclusive episodes. For one week a month, we are not on the free platform, and that week, we are on Patreon. Uh, but also, we're creating other shows, sideshows, and different things every single week, which is on Patreon every single week on the $5 tier. So if you sign up on the $5 tier, you'll get access to Just the Banter, a show that me and Lauren do every single Friday where we get on, we answer listener questions. Sometimes we ask our listeners a question and then talk about their responses. Um, but like I said, that's every every single Friday. Pretty soon we'll be removing, we'll be moving the recording day of Just the Banter to Mondays. So you guys will uh, be participating on Sundays, but the show will still come out on Fridays and hopefully early Friday morning, uh, 12 a.m. So you'll have it for your Friday work shift and to start your weekend. Also, we have Strange Shorts that comes out every single Monday. Me and Andy, uh, another member of TCG, we sit down and we talk about strange but current cases and true crime and things that are happening all around the world. Um, And then what else we have on Saturdays? Lauren does Five Minute Murder Show with video 
every single Saturday. Uh, I think you just released what episode ten of the fi- yep. of the uh, five minute murder show. So that's every single Friday. What what else am I missing, Lauren? We got higher thoughts well, sprinkled missed- in there. Yeah, uh, just the banter is also available in video, as is this episode right. on YouTube. That's right. Um, yeah, so check out our YouTube page. Subscribe uh, yep. to our YouTube channel, and you can watch this episode uh, with pictures and different uh, different little add-ins to make the story uh, even that much more interesting. Absolutely, and like I said, at the True Crime Guys link tree, you will also see a link to our YouTube page there. You want to make sure that you subscribe to the official True Crime Guys YouTube page. There are some copycats out there, but they are no longer uploading, so you won't you won't be current on these new video yeah. episodes. So look for the TV logo. Look for the official page of True Crime Guys. All right? All right. All right. That about does it. That's it. Guys, we also have see patches. Hold on real quick. We also have these patches still for sale. Just uh, let's go do cult shit patches. I'm showing them on my screen right now for 15 bucks, guys. TrueCrimeGuys.com. Click patch of the month, and one of these bad boys can be shipped to your door for $15 flat. Okay? $15. So let us know. We're selling out of them things quick, and once they're gone, they're gone, guys. Those are coming straight from us. No third party. No nothing like that. So if you'd like to support the show and get something cool for your, for your, your bag or your jean jacket... I'm going to get a jean jacket and put put all these on there. It's going to be dope. But uh, we appreciate it, guys. Any way that you support the show. So, all right. All right. That's it. That about does it, everybody. See you next week. Yep. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys, in the desert we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. You hush your mouth, boy.